Well, if my calculation is right, this is the seventh week in the great COVID-19 shutdown. It's been a strange time for all of us. Public and health officials around the world have called for this shutdown to save human lives. And it seems to have done that. Certainly we have seen nowhere near the number of deaths that was initially projected. So that's good news. And we will continue to pray that lives are preserved from this virus and that the pandemic will come to a quick end. We will continue to abide by directives of our public officials even as we look forward to the day when all of this is behind us and we can return to a new kind of normal. There have, of course, been real costs of this shutdown, not only lost wages and lost wealth, but also lost experiences, lost living. Those who have done the best during this shutdown have used it as an opportunity to enjoy something different for a while. Along the lines of Stephen Stills's song, if you can't be with the one you love, then love the one you're with. Your trip to the Scottish Highlands has been canceled? Well, how about a walk on the Pennypack Trail? But this morning, I want to talk about another real cost of the shutdown. A cost that probably doesn't register in the minds of most public officials. During this time of shutdown, in spite of every electronic means we have used to mitigate this loss, we have lost Christian fellowship. I know that term fellowship seems corny. I know that term fellowship seems to those outside of the church like nothing more than sanctified sociability. And maybe I've been guilty of thinking that way in the past myself. But let me say on this seventh Sunday of the COVID-19 shutdown, Christian fellowship is real. Christian fellowship is valuable. Christian fellowship is life-sustaining. Christian fellowship is the earthly foretaste of New Jerusalem. Christian fellowship is what we were created for, and we are not at ease when we do not have it. The coronavirus disease has caused all of us dis-ease in this way that we might not have calculated. The church I grew up in had a fellowship hall down in the basement. And in that fellowship hall, there were always coffee and donuts after the service. As a child, it took me a while to realize that fellowship wasn't just another word for donuts. took me a while to realize that something else, something very real, something very important was happening in that room. Often something that involved sharing food, but something that was feeding not just the body, but that was feeding the soul. This morning I want to talk about the essential work of Christian fellowship. I am in the sanctuary of Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. There are a few other people with uh, me here this morning. Uh, four of them live with me. Josh and Rosie Bruce are here, and Ava and Mia Morrison are here. Uh, one of them I see in the office. 
Three times a week, Stephen Clark, he's busy with the technology this morning. One of them cleans and disinfects the church office several times a week, Joan Clover. I'm in close physical proximity with those people all week long. And then there's Bernie McGorry on the piano and Christine Boney on vocals. I only get to see them on Sunday. Just a few of us here in the sanctuary this morning. And you know what? All of us here miss all of you. We're glad that you're safe at home and that you're tuning in on the internet or on the radio. We're glad that you're able to sit out in your car, perhaps out in the parking lot this morning, tuning in on our new FM station 96.7. But we do miss you. We miss being able to hug you and shake your hands. We miss being able to have meandering, cozy conversations with you. Thank God for telephones and for Zoom, but humans were meant to talk face to face. I hope we never get too comfortable having our relationships mediated by technology. We are people. We're made in the image of God. We're not machines which are made by human ingenuity. And when God the Father speaks with His eternal Son, and when Jesus Christ checks in with the Holy Spirit, they don't get on the phone. They don't open their Chromebooks. They talk face to face, and so should we. The importance of Christian fellowship comes out of the fact that Christian fellowship is an expression of the image of God. We humans are made in God's image. An essential part of who we are as humans is the image of God in us. Oh sure, there are lots of other parts to us as well as humans, But those parts that are beyond the image of God, those parts might add variety and spice, (coughs) but they are inessential. Christian fellowship, however, is essential. It's essential to our humanness, unlike curbside delivery of booze from the Pennsylvania State Store. Being able to pick up a bottle of port is a nice thing, but it is not essential. It is not essential to your humanness. Excuse me. My throat is suffering this morning. It is not essential to the full expression of the image of God which you bear, but Christian fellowship is essential. Anyone who claims the name of Christ, anyone who says that they believe in Jesus, should take seriously their need for Christian fellowship. If we do not have a real relationship, a vibrant and vital relationship with other Christians, we wither and our faith becomes fruitless. Christian fellowship is essential. We crave it naturally. Back in the old days, when we actually used to meet together here in this sanctuary, twice on Sunday morning, remember that? Between the services in this sanctuary and in the hallway out there, there was always a riot of greetings and handshakes and conversations and hugs as people expressed their joy in seeing each other. As people caught up with each other's lives, to the untrained eye, all that hubbub looked like nothing more than socializing. 
The kind of thing that you might find in a bar or a country club. But to the eye that sees spiritual realities, what was going on is the knitting together of human hearts and lives. What is going on is rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. What is going on is mutual encouragement and mutual upbuilding. What is going on is the sweetness and richness and pleasure of life lived in the body of Christ. I grieve for every person who does not have that kind of Christian fellowship on a regular basis. I know that Satan wants us to be cut off from one another. I know that Satan would love to see us wither and become fruitless because we are cut off from the fellowship of the body. Satan cannot destroy us because we belong to Christ, but he sure is relentless in trying to weaken us and trying to make us ineffective in the kingdom of God. And he can do that by convincing us that Christian fellowship is not really essential. Some people are of the opinion that the only essential thing is faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I believe in Jesus, that's enough. No need to get involved with organized religion. No need to have all of those complicated relationships that you have when you join a congregation. Satan wants us to think that believing in Jesus is enough and everything beyond that is just icing on the cake and not really all that important. That's what Satan would have us believe. But Satan is a liar. He's a loser. We don't argue with him. Rather, we speak the word of God. So listen for just a minute to what the word of God says in three passages about Christian fellowship and see if you don't agree that it is essential. The first passage is Acts chapter 2 verse 42. It's a little thumbnail sketch of the early church burning with Pentecostal fire. We read, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Four things the church was devoted to. Number one, the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. That, of course, is the equivalent of the Word of God. The New Testament had not yet been written. There were no Gospels. There were no epistles. All that would come with time as the church collected and protected the documents which captured the apostles' teaching. So the first thing the early church was devoted to was the Word of God. And that's where we always begin. Number two, the early church was devoted to the fellowship. Well, that's what we're talking about this morning. Koinonia is the word in Greek. It means sharing. It means communion. It means participation. Fellowship, koinonia, is the best possible word to describe the character of the church. A church without fellowship is not a church. It's just a theater. A church without sharing is not a church, it's just a crowd. Number three, the early church was devoted to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread, of course, is the Lord's Supper. This sacrament was instituted by Jesus. It was practiced regularly in the early church, perhaps every time they met. There is no church without the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is always done in person. And we need to be devoted to it. Number four, the early church was devoted to the prayers. I don't think we appreciate how much time 
The early church spent in each of their Sabbath meetings in prayer. Prayer was the work of the church. And they got together and they prayed. And apparently they prayed a lot. They prayed hard. They prayed about everything. I feel convicted that we don't do enough praying in our services here at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. Some people get impatient with prayer, but no time in prayer is ever wasted. Pray without ceasing. Think of how often Jesus went off to pray. If he is the powerful son of God and he needs to pray so often, how much more do we weaklings need to pray? Fellowship makes the list of the four most important things that the early church was devoted to. It is not extraneous. Christian fellowship is essential. The second passage is Galatians 2, verse 9. Paul is in talking about uh, a meeting that he had with uh, the other apostles who are in Jerusalem. And he writes this. When James and Peter and John, who seem to be the pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So Paul uses this important word fellowship, koinonia, to describe his welcome as an ordained evangelist, as a fellow apostle of Jesus Christ. When I was ordained here in this sanctuary 15 years ago, Professor Dr. Hughes Oliphant Old of Princeton Seminary was one of the teaching elders who came forward to lay hands on me during the ordination prayer. And after that prayer, Dr. Old said to me, I give you the right hand of fellowship, which was his old-fashioned way of saying that though we had once been professor and student, that we were now partners and peers as teaching elders. Sharing, communion, participation were our new relationship. And the third passage is 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. I think 1 John is one of the most beautiful books in the Bible. In this passage, the apostle whom Jesus loved uh, says this. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship, koinonia, with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Here in this verse we see the root of Christian fellowship. And we see why Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.14 says that the church cannot have fellowship with the world. We have fellowship with each other because we walk in the light of Christ. We walk together in the light of Christ, which is why there is no fellowship between the church and the world. Christian fellowship is essential. It is not an add-on. It is not an extra because nothing is more essential to the Christian life than that we walk together in the light of Christ. So those are a few things that Scripture says about Christian fellowship. I got to thinking about Christian fellowship Uh, Because of our reading this morning, taken from Philippians chapter 2, in which Paul reflects on two of the fellows who are in his fellowship. 
Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then Paul also writes, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Two men, two fellows in the fellowship, Timothy and Epaphroditus, two individuals who are so dear and so essential to the Apostle Paul and his work. Paul, of course, is in prison. And he's in prison and he sends this high-powered double delegation to take his letter to the church in Philippi. Back in Paul's day, you couldn't just stick a stamp on the envelope and get a letter delivered. You had to send it with a messenger. It was a costly business. And I'm sure that Paul, in his extreme circumstance of being in prison, dearly would have loved to have kept these two men nearby him. But Paul's love for the church at Philippi was so great that he sends both of these men to them. Timothy, you probably know pretty well, a young man, Paul's protege, he is mentioned 28 times in the Bible. His mother Eunice, his grandmother Lois were Jews. They were followers of Jesus also. Timothy's father apparently was a pagan. Paul met Timothy in Lystra on his second missionary journey. During Paul's first missionary journey through Lystra, he had been stoned by the Jews and left for dead. Timothy might have seen Paul at that time, but it was during Paul's second visit that Timothy and his family were converted. Timothy served with Paul in at least five churches. He was present on three of four missionary journeys, and he was with Paul in Rome during Paul's final imprisonment before his execution. Paul writes two letters, First and Second Timothy, directly to this young man. And in those letters, we have much of the New Testament teaching about the offices of the church and about ordination. Timothy, we know well. Epaphroditus, well, we don't know him so well. He's only mentioned here in the letter to the Philippians. He previously had acted as a messenger between Paul and the church at Philippi. But I love what Paul says about him ever so briefly. Paul describes Epaphrodites in three ways. First, as a fellow brother. Second, as a fellow worker. And third, as a fellow soldier. Three kinds of fellowships that we enjoy in the body of Christ. First, Epaphroditus is Paul's brother. He is a fellow sibling. Keep in mind, Paul and Epaphroditus have different mothers. They come from different countries. They belong to different races. They speak different home languages. But Paul and Epaphroditus are brothers because they are both followers of Jesus Christ and they are sons of Almighty God. What binds them together is more essential than all of the things that separate them. And part of what binds them together in fellowship are those things which come alone from following Christ. I remember a a telling little exchange between two fellow students when I was at Princeton Seminary. Daniel was from Kenya. 
tall, soft-spoken, studious. And Virgil was from Baltimore, wiry, politically active, the president of the Black Student Fellowship. One day after class, I was walking with Daniel to the library because we had a project that we were working on together. And Virgil called out to Daniel from across the quad, How are you, my brother? And Daniel replied, In Christ alone. I am your brother in Christ alone. Virgil felt a kinship, a fellowship with Daniel because of their common skin color. But Daniel saw that their fellowship was deeper, more essential. They were both followers of Jesus Christ. They were both adopted sons of Almighty God. Paul points to this common patrimony in recommending Epaphroditus to the Philippian church, treat this man well, Paul is saying. He's my brother, my brother in Christ. Second, Paul calls Epaphroditus his fellow worker. The Christian life is a life of work. And not all important Christian workers are visible, like the Apostle Paul was. Here with the here with me this morning are a handful of saints who are making this service happen. Readers and musicians and technical people in the week running up to this morning service. There have been many, many people at work behind the scenes making church tick. Our elders, our deacons, our staff, our Sunday school teachers, paid volu- uh, paid staff, volunteer staff. Many hands have been at work this week making church possible. All of us who have decided to follow Jesus are called to share in that common work. For some of us, that work will be in front of the camera. And for some of us, our work is behind the camera. But everyone has a vital role to play in the body of Christ. And third... Paul calls Epaphroditus a fellow soldier. The Christian life is a battle. There is an enemy. We have been equipped with armor, defensive armor. We have been equipped with a weapon, the sword of the word of God for offense. Our war is not against other people. Our war is against principalities and powers, against spiritual agents who keep people enslaved and in the dark. Paul would die on the battlefield of the gospel. We don't know what happened to Epaphroditus, but we do know that his life had already been placed in danger when Paul wrote this letter. Epaphroditus was willing to lay down his life for what was essential. The fellowship of the saints, the church of Jesus Christ, it is a beautiful thing. And I love how Paul, in this short passage from Philippians chapter 2, takes time out to honor the fellows in the fellowship. To honor those who walk alongside of him, who labor alongside of him, who battle alongside of him. Let me close this morning's meditation with three calls to action. Number one, be intentional about 
cultivating Christian fellowship in your life. Don't think that you can get along without it. I know it's a little tricky right now because of the social distancing, but do not give up on Christian fellowship. Seek out Christian brothers and sisters. Get involved in a small group Bible study. By the way, the attendance at our small group Bible studies has actually gone up since the COVID-19 outbreak. Groups are meeting electronically and attendance has actually gone up. And why not? We're all a little lonely and a little stir-crazy at home and connecting via telephone or the internet is as easy as pie. If you have never been involved in a small group Bible study, now is a great time to jump in. Call me, call the office, call Karen near Jesse, the elder in charge of small groups, and we can plug you in somewhere. By the way, uh, the Presbyterian Stogie Society will be meeting tomorrow evening beginning at 7 o'clock. I'll send around uh, an email link so that you can join that meeting. Number two, be involved in the work and in the battle of the church. If you have been saved by the death of Jesus Christ, then your life belongs to him. And Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Use your life for eternal good. Use your life in battles that will actually count. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. If you do not have a job or a battle station to call your own yet, then give me a call. Give the office a call. We will plug you in somewhere. This wonderful thing called the church is nothing more than a do-it-yourself bunch of redeemed sinners who band together and accomplish supernatural wonders. And you have a place in this work as well. And number three, honor those who work and battle for the kingdom of God. Those who are visible probably don't need your accolades. But there are plenty of behind-the-scenes people who get overlooked. They are important. They are essential. Recognize them. Thank them. Help them. Give thanks to God for them. And honor them. This is the word of God for us today. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we honor you and we adore you this day. And we thank you. For Brother Paul, and we thank you for his love of the church there at Philippi. We pray this morning that uh, as we reflect upon Paul's words to the church at Philippi, that they would resonate in our hearts and our lives, and that we would know what it is that you would have us believe and do. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.